a focused summary of chapters 47 and 48 of Pride and Prejudice. As they drive from the town, Mr. Gardner tells Elizabeth he is inclined to judge as Jane did, and hope for the best, and he offers her his reasons. But Elizabeth is convinced that none of them hold good. Everything about Wickham's character and conduct lead her to believe that he has no intention of marrying her sister. She admits it seems shocking to doubt her sister's sense of decency, but given how young she is, how frivolously she has been allowed to dispose of her time, how obsessed she has been with the officers, and how captivating everyone knows Wickham can be, she doesn't know what to say. Mr. Gardner points out that Jane does not think so ill of Wickham, but Elizabeth protests that Jane would not think anyone capable of such an attempt until it were proved against him. She reminds him of Wickham's infamous behavior to Mr. Darcy, and says there are other charges against him that she is not at liberty to relate. He asks how it is that Lydia knows nothing of all this, and Elizabeth explains self-reproachfully all the reasons she did not tell her. Until she was in Kent, she had not known herself. When she returned, the regiment were to leave in a week's time, and that Lydia could be in danger had never even occurred to her. She recalls no symptom of affection on either side, and in any case, theirs was not a family on which his could be thrown away. Arriving at Longbourn, Elizabeth is met by Jane, and they embrace affectionately with tears in their eyes. Jane informs her that Mr. Bennet has arrived in London, and will write when he has news to relate. Their mother's spirits, she says, are greatly shaken, and she does not yet leave her dressing room. Mary and Kitty are quite well, and so, she assures her sister, is she. Elizabeth sees that Jane's sanguine hope of good has not yet deserted her. Every day she expects an announcement of Wickham and Lydia's marriage. After their conversation, they repair to Mrs. Bennet's apartment, and she receives them with lamentations of regret, invectives against Wickham, complaints of her own sufferings, and blame of everyone but herself. It is Mr. Bennet's fault that the whole family did not go to Brighton, and Colonel Forster's fault for not being fit to have the charge of her child. She is sure that Mr. Bennet will fight Wickham and be killed, and Mr. Collins will turn them out before he is cold in his grave. Mr. Gardner does what he can to calm her nerves and promises to go to London himself and assist in recovering Lydia. She tells him that if they are not married, he must make them, and then, between complaints about her dreadful state and sleepless nights and terrible spasms, gives instructions regarding the wedding clothes. When it is time for dinner, they leave her to vent her feelings on the housekeeper. In the dining room, they are joined by Mary and Kitty. No change is visible in either. Kitty speaks in a somewhat more fretful accent, and Mary seizes the chance to make moral extractions from the evil before them. In the afternoon, the eldest sisters find time to be alone again, and Elizabeth presses Jane with more questions. Jane tells her in answer that Colonel Forster had suspected some partiality between them, but nothing that gave him any alarm. That when questioned by Colonel Forster, Denny denied knowing anything about their intentions. That until Colonel Forster came, none of the Bennets had doubted that Wickham and Lydia would be married. And that Colonel Forster had come to regard Wickham as imprudent, and reported that he left Meryton greatly in debt. Elizabeth again faults herself for failing to tell what they knew of him, 
but Jane says that they acted with the best intentions. Jane then produces the letter from Lydia, which, in its tone, confirms her frivolousness, but in its contents proves she thought they were to be married. When Jane describes how it threw the whole house into confusion, Elizabeth is mortified at the thought that there was not a servant there who did not know the whole story by the end of the day, and even more so by the sympathy offered by neighbors. She says, quote, Under such a misfortune as this, one cannot see too little of one's neighbors. Assistance is impossible, condolence insufferable. Unquote. Elizabeth inquires into the measures which her father had intended to pursue but Jane knows only that he meant to find the coach that took them from Clapham, and nothing about what he would do if he succeeded. The whole party is in hopes of a letter from Mr. Bennet the next morning, but nothing arrives. They conclude he had no pleasing intelligence to send, but they would have liked to be certain even of that. Mr. Gardiner sets off for London, while Mrs. Gardiner stays behind to be serviceable to her nieces. Their other aunt also visits frequently, with the design of cheering them up, but her fresh stories of Wickham's extravagance only leave them more dispirited. All Meryton seems striving to blacken his name and to believe him the wickedest man in all the world. Elizabeth does not credit half of what is said, but she becomes still more assured of her sister's ruin, and even Jane becomes hopeless. Colonel Forster writes to say that Mr. Bennet has gained no satisfactory information, and that at his urging they intend next to inquire at all the principal hotels. Meanwhile, he says he has written to Colonel Forster to find out if Wickham has any relations or connections who might know where he has concealed himself. Elizabeth knows of no such connections and holds out little hope. Every day the family anxiously awaits the arrival of news by letter but the next one to come is for their father, from Mr. Collins. He claims to be condoling with them for the grievous affliction they are suffering, but he spends a little too much time indulging in minute descriptions of the enormity of Lydia's offense and the destruction it will wreak on their family for it to be convincing that he feels any genuine sympathy. Mr. Gardner's next letter informs them that he had discovered no one who could give any news of Wickham, and that the wretched state of Wickham's finances gave him a powerful motive for secrecy. He had left behind gaming debts to a considerable amount. He adds that having been rendered spiritless by their ill success, Mr. Bennett would return to Longbourn the next day. It is decided that Mrs. Gardner will go away when Mr. Bennett arrives, and she leaves for London in all the perplexity about Elizabeth and Darcy that had attended her when she was at Pemberley. When Mr. Bennet arrives, he says as little as he has ever been in the habit of saying. When he finally speaks, it is to say that his suffering has been his own doing. He tells Lizzie that he bears no ill will toward her for being justified in her advice to him. When Kitty comes in to fetch her mother's tea, Mr. Bennet jokes that perhaps when she runs away, he will sit in the library in his powdering gown and give as much trouble as he can. Kitty insists that if she should ever go to Brighton, she would behave better than her sister. When Mr. Bennet threatens that no officer will ever be allowed in their house again, and she will never be allowed out of doors until she can prove she has spent ten minutes a day acting rationally, she takes it all in a serious light and begins to cry. He tells her if she's a good girl for ten years, he will reconsider.' 